Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Matt Mary. Today, I'm joined by our guest, Dr. Zach Mayo. This is part three of the Residency Rewind. Zach joins us today after just finishing up or just about to wrap up his orthopedic residency with Thomas Jefferson University. We talked to Zach about a year ago, give or take a month or so, and this episode is all about how he has grown as a clinician, where he is now versus where he was, if residency was chalked up to be everything he expected it to be. And then we get pretty deep into the world of what is the role of residency in the first place? What does the profession do to incentivize people to move forward and be the best versions of themselves? And then we get into the conversation again, again, I know we get into this all the time, time after time after time, but should residency be required? Is it the way to move the profession forward or are there better alternatives? This was a super fun conversation and it was so much fun. And honestly, it made me grow a little bit inside. It made my heart a little bit warm because I know Zach pretty well. It was so cool to see how he has grown since the last time that I talked to him between last year and now today. And he is a completely different communicator, a completely different clinician. He is so much more self-awareness. I hope that you see it. If you listen back to the last episode that I did with Zach, and if you listen to today's episode, Zach is an awesome clinician, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. This is the Postdoc PT Experience. Zach, cheers. Cheers, my friend. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Congrats on your OCS. I haven't seen you in a while. I know, it's been a minute. Tell everyone uh, what you just accomplished. What am I congratulating you for? Oh, yeah. Just uh, finished. Well, I got one more formal thing for residency, but it's pretty much done. But overall, done my residency. You're wrapping up. That is no easy feat, Zach. No. How's it feel? It feels great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. feels really good um, to be part of kind of like one of the first few cohorts at Jefferson. I think we've mm-hmm. only had three or four cohorts at this time, but it feels really good to be done with the year. Learned a lot. Um, definitely seen my progression throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting to kind of put this chapter behind me and look forward to what's coming next. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, I remember that last week that I was in residency, um, my end of residency experience, I'm sure was quite a bit different than yours since we were uh, right in the middle of the onset of this craziness that we're currently living in. Um, I finished the residency with the uh, university being shut down. So everything I was doing was pretty much online by that point. But uh, I'm sure your experience has been a little bit different. Yeah, no, it has. Um... And I kind of entered residency. So I started in August of like when the pandemic was kind of starting and getting into full swing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we still had that little bit of confusion and issues with residency. We actually had to push back the starting date by a month. Okay. Because um, half of our cohorts or, or sorry, half of my cohort were new grads like myself. Mm-hmm. So we were literally taking boards July, end of July, and we were scheduled to start residency three days later. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So our residency director made the executive decision that yeah. we needed a little bit more time. Sure. Um, 
but no, since that point, I mean, things have definitely opened up with mm-hmm. uh, COVID and everything. Thank God. Yeah, that's um, awesome. So I'm luckily in a great facility, great clinic that I love mm-hmm. to be in um, and able to treat full time with no issues, no restrictions from COVID or anything. So it's awesome. been it's been awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Remind me where you're at again. What, yes. what are you doing? So I am in the training room. It's okay. a, um, primarily like a sports physical therapy and sports performance center. So um, I'm very lucky to be part of that facility in that I, it's uh, very multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. And it's really like one of the true sports performance facilities in South Jersey. Okay. Um, so it's we have physical therapists, including myself there. Um, and then we have a full strength and conditioning team in addition to that. Mm-hmm. So these are men and women who have gone through, gotten their bachelor's of science in exercise physiology and been really well studied and well-versed in anything, exercise science and strength and conditioning. And then on top of that, we also have sports physicians as part of the complex as well. Uh, Dr. Lee Cohen, who is the podiatrist for the Philadelphia Eagles okay. treats there rents out some space. Then we also have Dr. Uh, Beattie and Harris, who are also sports medicine physicians awesome. um, out there. So it's really cool to have the kind of that multidisciplinary aspect to where I work. Sure. Um, and just the facility itself. I mean, we are truly a sports performance facility. So I have like half a turf field. Mm-hmm. I have Olympic weightlifting platforms. I have every single weight toy we have pretty much like half a track, like, like a oh, sweet. high school track in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have everything I could possibly need to treat the athletes that we have. So mm-hmm. I'm very lucky to be in a facility like that. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds like a, a dream facility for a lot of the outpatient PTs out there. I can't imagine that, uh, or I can only imagine about working in a facility like that and just the amount of resources that you have at your hands. Uh, so speak, kind of going off of resources, what, uh, how has the clinic that you're at shaped the residency that you received? Cause I know Jefferson does it a little bit differently where their residency is kind of, you you're in your own clinic and then you come to, uh, where your mentors are at for the mentorship, but how, how did your, the clinic that you were at and that you ended up working for, how did mm-hmm. that shape your residency experience? What opportunities did it give you? that maybe you would not have gotten if you were somewhere else or what opportunities did it not give you? Yeah. I mean, I think that the facility that I was was at, they were very supportive of me in my residency. So, I mean, anytime I needed to take off for, even if it was a half a day or something for teaching obligations or for um, residency obligations, they had no problem with. They're very supportive in that way of kind of giving me the, the resources that I need and the time that I need to go through this residency. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm currently one of four people in the company that's residency trained. Oh, wow. Um, actually, one of our other residents just joined our company as well from Jefferson um, in a different location. Um, but having that support from just all the way from my boss, so the owner of the facility, to my clinical director, to all the other clinicians, was really helpful to have throughout, especially as I'm starting my career as a young clinician. Right. Um, So, I mean, in terms of that, it helped me kind of get through residency much more smoothly than I think a lot of other people have. Um, And then number two, just having that facility and kind of the clinicians I'm with, they're very good in that 
they really do like to mentor new people coming in. Mm-hmm. They're very open to that. Not necessarily with like a formal mentorship by any sure. means, but they're very open to, um, you know, me asking for advice for specific situations and things of that nature, um, how to handle tough situations with patients, things of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really good resource, even though it wasn't part of my formal residency, a really good resource to kind of um, reinforce what I was doing in residency and reinforce the formal mentorship I was having. Because mm-hmm. um, my facility is very different from where I did my mentorship. Um, sure. We see, I see primarily 90% of my caseload as athletes. Mm-hmm. And I have maybe 10% are just like true orthopedics. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the mentorship that I received through Jefferson and through other facilities in the area um, was like 100% orthopedics, like mm-hmm. sports, like really heavily athletic individuals was like a rarity mm-hmm. over there, which had, um, which was good because it kept me on my toes in terms of mentorship, forced me to think outside the box of what I would usually do on a daily basis. But yeah. I mean, overall, just a very supportive environment. Number one, number two, the clinicians there really helped with being very open to not only um, helping me with like difficult situations in the clinic and stuff. Um, so that just kind of further added to all the mentorship I was having. I have so much to say off of what you just said, and I'm probably going to forget half of the things going through my brain right now. (laughs) Okay. So first thing is I can't imagine how cool that is to be in an opportunity where your employer is super supportive of the situation you're going through with the mentorship and the residency requirements. Cause I know a lot of this, this big buzzword that everyone loves throwing around right now is mentorship program to new grads, right? And then you get out there and it's not at all what you were expecting it to be. And I don't think a lot of new grads really even know to ask what the mentorship program is. I mean, what does that mentorship entail? Is it a structured program that you're sitting down with? How are they mentoring you? Are they trying to actively make you a better clinician? Are they just letting you do it on your own and they're there to answer questions that you might have, right? Yep. So that situation that you walked into with them is awesome. And to be completely honest, I don't necessarily know how widespread it is to get what you just walked into and the situation that you walked into. But if I was guessing, it's probably not that common. I've heard so many horror stories talking with so many different clients that I have about the different experiences that they've had with PT. And honestly, it's a little bit terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit terrifying. Yeah. I would, I have my fair share of horror stories from patients as well. Um, yeah. So with the, uh, with them being kind of open-minded and allowing you to do your residency and them actively encouraging the residency, how, how does that make you now walking, walking away from the residency or winding down your residency in the final couple of weeks? How does that change your relationship with them moving forward into this next phase of your career? Oh, yeah. I mean, it absolutely strengthens it. I mean, I've had nothing but support from my my company mm-hmm. in regards to like giving me the opportunity to like, hey, I need to take a half day or something. Right. And for teaching obligations, because I'm teaching the DPT students or lecturing at Jefferson. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. And I haven't had a single ounce of pushback or anything of that nature. Um, they've just been incredibly supportive. Um, so, I mean, it does nothing but strengthen the relationship that I've had with not only my colleagues, um, but also like the owners of the facility and the um, things of that nature. And 
um, nothing but good things to say about the kind of culture that we try to cultivate there. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really powerful because I feel like a lot of times new grads walk into a situation and end up uh, not quite, not quite getting what they were expecting out of that first job. And I don't necessarily know who's to blame with that. Is it the companies that are not necessarily not living up to false, to false promises, but is it just unrealistic expectations for new grads and just kind of what it, what it's life is like as a, as a new grad PT. But I kind of wanted to go off of uh, one of the other things that you talked about. I think it was point number two, uh, as far as the experiences that you got in PT or in your residency training experience and specifically the location that you were at as far as the purpose of an orthopedic resident and the purpose of residency training to begin with as going down the sports route versus the orthopedic route. So your population is super heavy sports, right? Yeah. Yes. So super heavy sports. So that's awesome. I'm sure you got quite a bit of experience that there's other, other ortho residents out there that are listening to salivating Mm -hmm. at your experience. How are you going to apply that with the general orthopedic model of residency as let's make you the most well-rounded orthopedic clinician you can possibly get. Are there things that you did not get from residency or that you see you did not get that had you been in a different situation or in a different clinic that you might have gotten? Um, no, I mean, for the most part, I think that's, it was one of the strengths of my residency is because I was in so much of like a sports dominant clinic where again, I'm treating 90% athletes for the most part. Um, but the other clinics I was at really supplemented that other part of that general orthopedic population. Um, like I, I think throughout my year at the training room, I've seen maybe five people over the age of 50. Okay. Right. Like the majority of the population that we see are like middle school, high school, college athletes. And then we always get some professional athletes Mm -hmm. um, that come in. Um, But when I go out to my mentorship and I mentored at three separate facilities throughout the year, um, it was the complete opposite. It was okay. more of like what you would expect from just a general orthopedic clinic mm-hmm. um, of, you know, a lot of uh, post-operative stuff. So a lot of TKAs, total hip replacements, things of that nature. Like I've treated maybe two total knee replacements at my facility. Okay. <laughs> but I've, the other facilities that I go to, they just every single day, they get like right. two or three of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. So I think my residency did a really nice job in complementing the things that I'm not seeing at my mm-hmm. clinic. And it helps even more so that I have to go there with no background, no knowledge of the clinic, really, right. and kind of just go based off of what I'm, my clinical decision-making, what I've been learning in residency, what I've been developing myself as a clinician. So it actually has kind of a good test and a good check to see like where I'm at with specific things. Um, right. whether it be clinical decision-making or identifying like psychosocial factors and incorporating them into the plan of care. Um, but all those types of things. So I, overall, I thought it was a really good compliment to what I was doing because my facility is not the norm for right. orthopedic type stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. So did you specifically go into 
Jefferson's residency looking for the type of clinic that you are at now, or were you looking for a different experience? Um, like this, this clinic was like my best case scenario. Okay. <laughs> so it's actually a funny story as to how I ended up at this clinic. So I, I tore my ACL in August of 2019. Mm -hmm. So it was in my second clinical rotation. And then I had to push my surgery off um, seven months. And that's when COVID hit. Mm -hmm. um, and then I actually did my rehab at the training room. Okay. <laughs> with one of the clinicians there who is also a mentor of the Jefferson um, residency program. Okay. He got his OCS from Drexel, did his residency at Drexel. Um, but it was funny because going through the rehab and then kind of developing relationship with him and then him knowing that I was going through residency training and things of that nature, um, they actually were in need of like a per diem person. Mm hmm at some point. And that's essentially how I got the job. Okay. Was he's like, Oh, you know, he's a really good fit. He knows what he's talking about in terms mm -hmm. of like orthopedic stuff. He's in a residency program. Um, and I started per diem, stayed there for a little while. And then they decided to bring me on full time. That's awesome. You were interviewing before you even knew you were interviewing Zach. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're always being watched people. Yeah. Anyone that's listening, everything you do is noticed. Not to scare anyone, but yeah, I remember starting my PT there and it was actually, um, a student was treating me. So it was oh, yeah? funny because it was, I had just graduated. She, it was, she was in her last clinical rotation, but she had just passed her boards. Mm -hmm. So she was like, she's like, this is such a great place to work. I'm like, yeah, I would absolutely love to work here. Knowing right. like full well at that point, like there's no way they would ever take me. Yeah. <laughs> and then a few months later, I was like, oh, all right, here you are. That's awesome. That's a cool story. Um, I feel like that doesn't happen very often. So that's an awesome story to hear. Um, so if there's anyone out there that's listening, like you literally never know what opportunities are around you. You just have to open your eyes and look for them because you might be staring something smack dab in the face. And if you're not recognizing it, you might miss something. Yeah. Um, so to kind of keep this going down this current current conversation that we're having as far as this is something that Nick and I got into a little bit on our some of our previous episodes I think predominantly in our last episode with this idea of clinical excellence and clinical experience is really kind of only as good as the experience that you're getting right so I'm definitely not going to bad name anything any companies out there or any PT organizations but let's say you have 15 years of experience working at this ridiculously busy outpatient clinic, you don't really have that much time to devote towards growing yourself as a clinician or developing your skills or honing your skills, as opposed to an individual that might be in a different situation. What are your thoughts on that in general? Because we hear this all the time. It's like when people are looking for jobs, like they want this clinical experience. It's Oh, we require five years of clinical experience. Well, five years of clinical experience when you're seeing 75 patients a week versus two years of clinical experience with some residency training. I don't know about you, but I'm looking more towards that side of two years of experience with some residency training than five years in a factory. Yeah. No, I mean, we've had discussions about this in my residency. Um, I've had discussions with this with some of my mentors as well. And, you know, I agree in terms of 
I think clinical experience is a very poor predictor of your ability as a clinician. Right. Um, I think like when we just look at the definition of evidence-based practice, clinical expertise and really clinical practice is one third of that. The other two thirds are patient values and being essentially fluent with the literature. Right. And again, if you're talking about clinical experience, that's one third of the pie for that type of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm especially if you are in a facility where you don't necessarily have that time, like you said, to devote to either continuing education or just like the time that we had through residency and reflecting on what we were doing as clinicians and using that as a platform to grow our clinical practice. Um, Because you can do something for a very long time, but be quite terrible at it for Mm -hmm. a long time. Unfortunately, in physical therapy, there is nobody there to tell you that you're doing a subpar job compared to like where the evidence stands or where the, the clinical expertise kind of stands. Um, unless you go through a residency or a fellowship, right? That's the only type of setting or only type of situation where you can get that type of feedback. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I agree with you in terms of the fact that it's a very poor association in that Clinical experience does not in any way dictate what's going on in terms of like their overall clinical excellence. Mm-hmm. I think you need to look at their, the quality of number one, the type of the training that they've had. Right. Um, and number two, just kind of who they are as a clinician. Are they somebody that the most thing they're concerned about is seeing four patients an hour or seeing three patients an hour or doing productivity type stuff? Mm-hmm. And again, it's a business that stuff needs to be taken care of. Right. Or are you someone that is very into developing yourself as a clinician? Right. Teaching, learning, all that type of stuff. Right. And not to, not to jump in here and interject, but one of the things that we hear today um, to kind of go off of what you said is not just seeing four patients an hour, but, and I don't want to call this an excuse, but I, I have heard in discussions um, not necessarily I'm not going to say it's been within my company. It's just been in the profession as a whole. I've seen situations in which people say, oh, I'm good enough. Like I, I am quality enough of a therapist to see these four people at the same time or to see these five people at the same time. And like, sure, there might be some truth to that is in that you have the balancing act. But if you were to take a step back and you were only seeing two of those patients at the same time, as opposed to the four, what are the odds that the, just the two of them are going to both do better because you're seeing fewer patients? I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but I would imagine that that more one-on-one is probably going to do a little bit better. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, one of the benefits that I have from my company is that we have a very strict rule in that we don't see more than two people an hour Mm -hmm. ever, unless there is an extenuating circumstance. Um, And I think like, like I've had job interviews where they're like, they ask nothing about clinical experience in terms of like residency, continuing education, anything like mm-hmm. that. They're like, you okay to see four people an hour? Like, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. Not at no. all. This isn't going to work. Sorry. <laughs> like four people an hour for an eight hour day. So you're telling me I'm seeing 32 people in a mm-hmm. day? Absolutely not. Yeah. There's no way I can give like the quality of care that number one, I want to give. Right. Number two, that I think should be given to a patient. Sure. Can, and again, I'm only, I have one year of clinical experience at this point. 
So with that juggling act, that comes with experience. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe something that I just don't have at this point. But like the level of clinical decision making that goes into many of the patients that I have, there is no way I could do it for four patients at the same right. time without yeah. burning myself out within yeah. three months. Yeah, absolutely. And burnout is such a big part of it. And I think that part of that, that total volume, this is something that kind of came up with me recently, not that it has anything to do with um, my current situation, but mainly just feeling like you're in control of your caseload, right? Like you don't want to have people showing up into the clinic that you're not prepared for, because you just have such a high volume of clients and patients that you have three people rolling in a day. And it's just like, I would love to sit down and do a chart review, but I don't have time. I'm seeing way too many people. So here's your exercises for the day and get started. And we're just going to cross our fingers and hope you get better. Right. Yeah. And I hope, I hope that there, and unfortunately I guarantee you there are, there are not people out there that fall into this, that situation, but I would imagine that there are clinics out there where you just see so many patients, you just can't possibly think about their case as much as you should be. Oh, absolutely. I mean, thinking about like, especially when you have very complex cases, like it's exhausting. Right. I mean, if you're really doing it, like the right, not the right way, but really putting some serious thought into it and integrating like the literature and things of Mm -hmm. that nature, it's, it takes a lot of work. It can be exhausting for the clinician. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a tricky situation with businesses as well, because I mean, at the end of the day, the physical therapy clinic is a business. You have to meet specific quotas and things of that nature to keep the lights on. Right. But that balance there is, I think necessary. I think there's definitely room for improvement in a lot of physical therapy clinics to um, kind of even that out, not even for the sake of like patient, I mean, for the sake of patient care, number one, but also just to take care of your clinicians. Yeah. Yeah. I, I most, most definitely hands down without a doubt, the number one reason is to take care of the patients, right? I mean, yeah. I, you can almost always find patients that come to a new clinic and you're, what you're providing and what you have to offer is still better than what they have received in the past, but is it the best that they can receive? My mm-hmm. guess is it's probably not. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are situations out there in which there's companies that just have it down to a T and have found a way to make money seeing a pretty low volume of patients. And it sounds like you're the clinic that you're in has definitely figured out. The clinic that I'm in has figured it out. We see no more than two patients an hour unless it's absolutely necessary. So I think that in those situations, those companies have figured out a way to still have volume come in, but also give good care. Yeah. And I think it, I mean, when you look at it, it's, I cannot tell you how many people I've had come in from other clinics that are like, you know, I was being seen by a student and Uh the therapist was nowhere to be seen. Yep. And there were three other people and he was bouncing back and forth and they just gave me exercises and just kind of left me alone. Right. Like way too many people. If we want to raise the standard of what we do, we're doctors. If we want to raise the standard, we got to change something. We can't keep giving crap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of like, fortunately with physical therapy, there's no, there's no check in place for people in terms of like 
you can get away with being a pretty terrible clinician mm -hmm. for a long time. Right. Nobody's going to call you out on it. Right. Nobody's going to check that. Right. Um, like you said, that, and I yeah. want to slap this on a t-shirt. You can have 30 years of experience, like crappy experience and you're crappy. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously I'm paraphrasing. You said it much more elegantly, but I just, I want to make a t-shirt from that. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even if you just look at like, I mean, there's good research for having that advanced type of training, right? I mean, just using like uh, photos, so the focus on therapeutic outcomes measure. So we utilize that in residency and uh, I can see my outcomes compared to everybody else in right. the United States who use photo. And, you know, with less than a year or close to a year clinical experience, my outcomes are consistently higher right. than the majority of people using this massive system. Right. So for, I mean, anybody to say that, like having that extra training and taking advantage of it fully um, with residency and with fellowship, that it doesn't make a difference in your clinical decision-making and your clinical outcomes. I mean, that's a stretch because right. it's definitely made a big difference in not only who I am as a professional, but also um, how I treat patients and right. the outcomes that I'm getting. And I would be curious too, as to who the pushback is coming from, as far as those that are saying your residency and fellowship training is not necessarily giving you better outcomes or giving you uh, the ability to provide better patient care. I would almost tend to think that that pushback is coming from people that haven't gone through that experience themselves. And that, that honestly makes me a little bit confused because it's like, what, what is the, the motivation and the intent behind pushing back against that other than potentially your own ego and the fact that you did not go through it yourself and that you're potentially missed out on this opportunity to be the best clinician that you can possibly be for who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame to kind of see that that's not taken in as high as a regard as we would like to like to have it. Um, and honestly, it doesn't even have to be again. Residency is not for everybody. Sure. Number one. Number two is like residency costs money. And with the amount of, you know, schooling that we have and PT school is not cheap by any means. You know, sometimes people just from a financial standpoint, they just can't do residency. And that's just the reality of it. But I think a lot of at least interviews that I've had before I started working for this company, like there was just no regard whatsoever. For mm -hmm. number one, my residency training, or number two, really type any type of continuing education. It was more of just like you have five years of experience. Mm -hmm. Nope. All right. You're not considered. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of it now is this automated HR services where if you have under five years of experience, your resume doesn't even make it to the desk. Yep. And you can't lie in that situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's like, is it how these places are organized or is it just that the information being provided to these HR departments, et cetera, et cetera, is just people are putting the emphasis in the wrong things potentially. I don't, I don't really know the answer to this, but I would guess that experience really is more important to people than it potentially should be as far as years worked, as opposed to what your experience truly was. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what you've accomplished in those few years in terms of, 
you know, whether you've gone through residency, continuing education, like what have you done in terms of the experience that you have rather than just like, I just showed up nine to five and worked for 10 years. Right. All right. Yeah. And going on to what you said with the residency training, and obviously it's not for everyone. I think that's arguable. Maybe it should be. I kind of want to get into that a little bit, but uh, (laughs) before we go down that rabbit hole, this idea of residency not being right for everyone, or it's financially, you have some obligations there. It's, it's not necessarily cheap. You definitely are going to have to take a pay cut or pay some tuition, but uh, going through those programs, the people that choose to do so are on this path towards becoming clinically excellent, or they're on this path towards positioning themselves in a place that they can help their patients the best. Even if you don't do residency, you would think that everyone would put themselves in situations in which they can professionally develop, grow, learn, and position themselves to treat their patients in the best and most efficient way possible. You would think. Right. (laughs) I would think. I do think. (laughs) <laughs> I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little more cynical in my young age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't yeah. know if it's happening. I think people no. generally in the profession, there are so many people that have kind of just settled into their role. Yeah, no, I, I see it every day. Um, not in my clinic, but <laughs> at, I've heard stories from some of my mm-hmm. classmates and other clinicians in the residency program of, um, you know, once you have that PT license, you could just take your 30 CEUs. You could right. do 30 CEUs of kinesio tape. Right. And be like, I'm good. Right. It's like, well, all right. Like you get to keep your PT license, but at the end of the day, like, is that actually added anything to you as a clinician? Right. Probably not. Um, and again, it's like I said before, like there's, when we talk about it, like there's, once you graduate PT school and have that, there's no push to do anything more. No. Unless you have that intrinsic desire to kind of go down that path of um, residency and even fellowship training and really just making yourself a remarkable clinician from that kind of standpoint and just doing everything that you can to be a standout clinician. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, again, is kind of like the culture number two of like, even with residency, it's like people have a hard time seeing that value, especially mm-hmm. since there's no real monetary value that comes right. from it. And I think I was just going to ask you why, but I think that when, when I listen to you say that, I think that that's probably one of the primary reasons is why is there no push for PTs to get better? Why is there no push for every clinician to actively engage in professional development? And to be completely honest, and maybe it's entirely cynical, but it's got to be related to money, right? You can be the best PT on the planet, but if you're working for a company, there's really only a select few ways in which you're making the company more money, right? Yeah. I mean, you either see more patients or you get so many people better that they're referring all of their friends towards your clinic to other therapists that are then treating those patients, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of 
the bigger clinics, at least in the United States or kind of where I'm from or where you and I are from kind of like in the Northeast Mm -hmm. part of that, part of their like incentives program for a lot of things that they do. It's not really based on their clinical expertise per se. It's really more based on the productivity things mm-hmm. of that nature. I was talking to a mentor of mine and he's, he went to, he did a residency, got his OCS and he's like, you know, I got a little bit of like a pay raise, but mm-hmm. I got more incentive doing like part A of the McKenzie class. Right. Which is crazy. Right. Cause that opened up a new way to profit. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, but it's like, if you're really trying to sell that like one class over two day weekend course is more valuable than a year long intensive residency training going over every single body part, pain, right. neuroscience, manual therapy, teaching, mentorship, all that type of stuff. Like that's, that's a very bad example to kind of set, right? Because there's no incentive to yeah. do anything more. And I think part of that too, is that we need to do a better job at selling residency. Like I'm not going to be, oh, yeah. I'm not going to sell us completely short. I'm not going to hold us all high and mighty. We definitely need to do a better job of selling our experience and why, why companies should hire us. And I think that people that have a good recognition of that step into roles that they enjoy being in more so than people that struggle with potentially identifying why that residency or fellowship sets them and puts them into a position that is better suited than just a PT with four years of clinical experience. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to say that, that we're not responsible for this, but I think a lot of it is the money. And I really hate to say that, but like some of these companies out here, their productivity standards based on like your pay raises. I mean, you're getting paid more if you see a certain number of patients per week, right? That's so mm-hmm. backwards. You should honestly, it should be more on the side of you get paid more if you get good outcomes. Yep. Totally agree. It's just, it just blows my mind. And I mean, to be completely honest, like I certainly can't sell myself. Like, I, I don't want to overcredit myself as in the position that I have to speak about these things, because there are people out there in the APTA and other state legislators for the, the, the state boards of physical therapy that are way more qualified to talk about why the things the way they are. But even in my limited amount of experience, like the things that I'm seeing, it's just does not set up clinicians to have any incentive to do more, be more, experience more. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's kind of a tough model to, to change certainly is because it is so deeply rooted in a lot of the clinics that we see now. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's going to take a lot from people higher up, like at university level and Mm -hmm. residency directors. Like I know my residency director is trying to collect outcome measures and things of that nature to Mm -hmm. publish, to show that, Hey, going through these residency programs is valuable for patient values, patient care. It's part of that photo outcome measure is um, like patient satisfaction Mm -hmm. and plan of care completion. Like you show that residents and fellowship level clinicians have that exceedingly higher 
than majority of people, mm-hmm. companies are going to look at that a little bit differently because that's money to them. Right. Yeah, it most certainly is. And I think that that's a really good place to bring up this doozy of a question that we've talked about on so many other episodes is, is the answer making residency required? Is that the change that needs to happen to change the way we do things right now? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think if we're trying to be, so like physical, I mean, the setting that you're working in, whether it's orthopedic, sports, neuro, you become a specialist one way or the other. Now, to what degree, that depends on the right. amount of work that you put into your clinical development, things of that nature. But I think that should be the way that it goes. It's certainly that way in other countries. When you look at the UK and Australia, mm-hmm. um, they have to go through extra training to be a sports physical therapist or mm-hmm. an annual physical therapist. Um, you don't have to do that here. No. Graduate from PT school, go wherever you want. Right. Um, so I think that would definitely be the goal. It's just the execution of that that remains very tricky. Right. Um, in terms of kind of incorporating that into the formal education aspect of physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've heard like rumors of um, from the university levels from about how to do that in terms of like turning your third year into um, having some of those credits apply to a residency program. Right. So that instead of going through as intensive of a residency program, number one, you have credits that you've already earned in that third year of PT school Mm -hmm. that you don't have to pay for going into residency. And number two, especially like the more basic aspect of things like the, at at least from like an orthopedic residency standpoint of being aware of like the CPGs, uh, current concepts, just like those basic components. And there's a lot more research that goes into your residency Mm -hmm. than that, but having that, and then having that act as kind of credit towards entering residency in like that fourth or three and a half year point. Um, I've heard that as kind of a model that might, that might be somewhat viable for people. Mm-hmm. especially if it's taking away the cost of residency and kind of putting the credit that they've earned through physical therapy school and through like their own volition into their residency training or their residency program. But I would love to see kind of the system go towards that aspect. Right. Cause I think, I mean, with that type of training, it's, I mean, you and me can see clear differences in our clinical outcomes and our clinical expertise, but I think there's a lot of obstacles that come from it. One being the financial aspect of thing. Number two is, you know, when I ask a lot of my classmates about if they're willing to do a residency or they want to do a residency very quickly, they're like, absolutely not. Right. Like PT school killed me. Like I don't want to go towards any more school of any type. And that's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think it's going to have to be integrated into getting that doctorate. It's going to have to be like an extra track on there where you get your doctorate and then there's that extra year or so of where you're specializing. Right. And call it, call it whatever you want, whether it be formal residency, or if we just change the way we approach our clinical experiences as students. But I mean, to completely honest, having been a CI now and 
been in that CI role, the role of a clinical instructor is not to be a mentor. Your role is to make the student competent as a clinician so that they can graduate from PT school. You don't have time to do both Mm -hmm. as a CI. You don't have time to do both. And to be honest, that was something I really struggled with because early on, I was like just interacting with my student, watching her do her work, giving feedback on like just the fundamentals, like the things that you need to work on, the communication styles, the, the questions that you need to ask, different ways to have patients positioned, like just these fundamental things to make sure that safety is there and that the patient comfort is there as well. But you don't really get the opportunity to, to really dive deep into clinical decision-making. And that is something that is so fundamental in separating great clinicians from average clinicians. And you're not getting it in PT school. And I get that that's not entirely the purpose of PT school in our current model, but is there a way we can change it to make it more of the purpose of PT school is to challenge that clinical decision-making. And like you said, the, the, like maybe we require and credit some of our academic time spent and money spent towards continued training in a position that really is challenging your clinical decision-making. Yeah, no, it's definitely as I've had the opportunity to be with a few students as well, just at least for a few days or so. And it's definitely challenging. I mean, PT school is designed so that you pass the boards. That's really it. Um, If you get anything extra from that, that's great in terms of coming out as a skilled clinician that's fantastic, but it's, it's very hard from, for university standpoint to kind of combine the two in terms of, all right, we have to make sure that we're covering all the content for the PT boards, which is an an immense amount of content. Number one, just getting through that. And then number two, okay, how do we make them able to pass the boards, but also more skilled clinicians? Right. Um, and it's, it's incredibly challenging because there's just not enough time in the day to right. do this type of stuff. No, there's I think, not. And yeah, even think, when you look at the best institutions out there, like when you look at University of Pittsburgh, USC, University of Delaware, Ohio State University, I would even throw Jefferson and Drexel up there. When you look mm-hmm. at these really well-known institutions, like the clinicians walking out of that school all typically put themselves in situations that are pretty cool to see. But even still, like, Having gone through PT school, one of the primary reasons why I chose to pursue residency was because I wasn't satisfied with the content that I was getting. I was satisfied that I was now competent, but I certainly wasn't positioned to be a great clinician yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's kind of why I pursued a residency as well. I knew that there's there's always more to learn and kind of doing that in the most efficient and the most effective way possible. Yeah, is kind of the opportunity that residency and fellowship training kind of provide with that type of opportunity, because you can get those skills, you can get that mentorship, if you find a really nice clinic that has those open clinicians that are, you know, happy to answer questions and things of that nature, right. But it takes a long time to get there. Yeah, because that clinical experience is something there. I think what residency did, at least for me was just number one, fast track that process, but make sure that the time that I've had so far has been the most effective time possible mm-hmm. in terms of developing my clinical decision-making and then setting me up for f- 
for success in the future in terms of now I have the tools in terms of um, understanding the literature, knowing how to go through the literature, knowing how to reflect upon specific situations and knowing my limits as a clinician, especially as a very young clinician and when to recognize that, you know, I might need an experienced clinician to help me through some situations. And most of the time when I talk about these situations, it's not, it's not necessarily patient care per se. It's more of like communication aspect of things sure. of like the communicating. Yeah. The soft skills, communicating like with a patient's parents that mm-hmm. are upset about something or communicating with surgeons and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Like that takes time to learn. Right. So I, I'm always open to like feedback from clinicians at my facility of like, Hey, how would you best approach a situation? Because my experience level with either this individual or these type of experiences just aren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to recognize those situations is has been part of residency as well, because you, you kind of learn what your limits are and kind of where your need for growth is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't want to interrupt you too much, but yeah. uh, with... And not to change gears, but I kind of want to take this into like the advertisement thing now. So like, let's advertise residency. Why should you do it? What was your single-handedly favorite thing about residency? What did it give you that you would not have gotten had you not done it? And then we're going to flip the gear. And I want you to tell me what your least favorite part was. Um, the biggest thing that I got from residency was my patient outcomes. I mean, they just went through the roof in terms of like my effectiveness as a clinician. Um, And part of that came with the confidence Mm -hmm. of being able to go through hundreds and hundreds of articles of literature, things Mm -hmm. of that nature. Um, But I mean, I've had people come in for, you know, I've done things faster than I ever thought I could in terms of like patient outcomes. Like I've had with people with like just low back pain and neck pain and stuff like three sessions mm-hmm. and they're good to go. Mm-hmm. Right. A year ago during my clinical rotations, there was no way I would have thought that like I could do that. Right. I've been like, all right, you're coming for 12 and we'll see if you get a little bit better by like visit eight mm-hmm. and see what's that, what's happening there. Cause that's how it was during a lot of my clinical rotations. Just like, right. All right. They're going to do this for 12, but then having that push from uh, my mentors in terms of like residency and fellowship of just like, no, this is, this is what you can do with physical therapy. Mm-hmm. You can get people better in right. three visits. Right. You that's can that's why that. we go into it. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just overall, my patient outcomes have just skyrocketed with everything and just my clinical decision-making it's just so much better. It's so much smoother. And just the complexity of the decision-making mm-hmm. is way better than I would have ever hoped for at this point in my career. Um, and just off of that, like it makes me excited to see in terms of like what the next step is for me um, right. to continue that progress. Cause I know that I've progressed a lot, mm-hmm. but there's a lot more work to do. And there's a lot of things I can improve upon. Um, So for me, the number one thing was just seeing my patient outcomes just really vastly improve. 
um, and, you know, doing it in the right way, doing it with, you know, putting the patient first with patient centered care, patient focused care, however you'd like to say Mm -hmm. that, um, and making the best of their time rather than just, Hey, we have to do this thing for productivity. I have to keep you for 12 visits, even though you have no pain after two. Right. Yeah. Why are they still here? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, patient outcomes was the biggest win. That's awesome. I mean, I can, I mean, obviously I'm coming from a very similar experience and that's something that's rewarding for, for me as well as, as I'm sure it is for everyone that has gone through that experience is watching the transformation of how their patients are doing. Right. You have this patient that walks in the clinic, you say, I have no idea what's going on here. I don't know what, I don't know what to do here. And I'll be the first to tell you a year out of residency. Now you're still going to find yourself in situations like that. I have no idea what's wrong with you. I have no idea what to do here, but you know what? Having gone through a residency, I at least have a systematic approach and a systematic way of thinking now that kind of helps me reason through the situation. And that's not to say that people that don't go through residency and fellowship, that they don't have that systematic approach. But I think that there's the value in the residency in that they make you more understanding of your thought processes and how you're thinking about things so that you can develop a way of thinking rather than just having your thoughts be all over the place. And to me, that the transformation of decision-making was hands down the most valuable thing, because there are so many situations on a daily basis that I walk out of evals or treats. And I'm just like, just so thankful that I've been through the residency training and had the the challenges when I was going through the residency and being pushed to challenge my decision making and constantly asking why why am I doing this why do I think that this is what's going on what information is leading me to this point as opposed to just saying yeah I think it's this and just settling into all of your biases and just not even reasoning through these things that I know Nick's favorite word, and I'm pretty sure even Dr. Keating likes to, Dr. Chris Keating likes this word is metacognition, right? The ability to think on thoughts, right? That's so valuable. That's what separates really good clinicians from average clinicians. That's awesome that that was your experience because I sit there right with you. Yeah. I mean, just what you're talking about of like having that systematic approach through patients because things get muddy when you look at a lot of things. It's like, all right, like it's very tough to go through that without having some type of experience and kind of that advanced decision-making. I have to say that my decision-making is super advanced, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely more advanced than what it was. Right. It's definitely more systematic than what it was for sure. Um, But being able to work through those patients in terms of like, I can do that process now within one or two visits as opposed to 12 Mm -hmm. where I was as a student. Um, Right. So having that was very valuable because it it just helps so much in terms of being sure with what you're doing to to at least some degree. There's always going to be some clinical uncertainty with a lot of these very complex patients. Absolutely. Um, but having that systematic way of kind of using the evidence and then using clinical reasoning of like I am. I'm doing this or I have this clinical diagnosis or hypothesis because of this. And it's supported by the literature in here and things of that nature. I remember my first 
kind of like mock live patient exam, my residency director was like, so if you were to get sued right now <laughs> on this case, what would you say proves your diagnosis? Mm -hmm. And from that point forward, that is how I've addressed every single case. If you were to get sued. Yeah. I was like, I want to have an essay mm -hmm. of, of evidence of my clinical decision-making, things of that nature for every single thing that I do in the clinic. Mm -hmm. And if I don't have that, I have no business doing what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. That's definitely a unique way of uh, approaching that situation. But yeah. I mean, hey, whatever gets you there, I, I think that there's definitely some value in approaching it that way. But uh, this is something that I learned. If you, if you want to avoid getting sued in the first place, <laughs> yeah. Just make the patient like you. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> spend did that. some time and listen. Yeah. The doctors that get sued are the doctors that don't listen. They interrupt within seconds of being in the room. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing. The patient walked out with no pain and he's, I still got that response. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, All right. You're not getting sued. No. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So now let's flip it, right? Because residency is not all pros. It's not all ups. It's not all just great things to say about it, right? Because I'm not going to lie, having been through it, there are parts of it that you just get up and you're like, whew, another day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just got to kind of strap your boots and head out. Yeah. So what, uh, what were some of the more challenging sides of it or the sides that, you, that weren't as rewarding or that weren't quite as uh, what you expected it to be? I think the just overall, like the amount of time mm -hmm. commitment, not necessarily with um, like the overall learning of the residency, but um, I mean, through my residency, I did teaching, I did mentorship for DPT students, I did lectures for DPT students. Um, and that adds up. I mean, I think I, I just tallied it because I'm at the end of the road here. I think I, it's like five six hundred hours mm -hmm. worth of work on top of my actual work mm -hmm. so and i mean a lot of that only 200 of that is from mentorship right right the other 300 or 400 even close is from teaching and going to the pro bono clinic and things of that nature so it was definitely a little bit of a struggle sometimes yeah. just yeah. like from an energy perspective sure of just like being able to have a full-time job and then go do that stuff on top of it um but at the same time i'm grateful for the experiences that i've had with it mm -hmm. but for sure it's definitely a huge time commitment and it definitely um requires some sacrifices in other areas right. of your life yeah it, it most certainly does require some sacrifices i think just overall volume of what you're expected and required to do is just looking back at it is kind of mind boggling that you're able to get through it in the first place. But I mean, you just, you put your time in and you get through it. Just the, the pure amount of reading. Like, I think I read more in residency than I read throughout all of PT school. And I don't oh, know if that's yeah. an exaggeration or just that I'm more recently removed from residency than PT school, but I mean, reading a chapter out of a textbook for PT school versus reading 14, five to seven page research articles every evening, <laughs> mm -hmm. I just felt like that, that volume for me was the most overwhelming. It's not a good word. I think 
um, just the hardest part of getting through just that volume of what is expected of you was definitely the, the, the flip side of the rewarding side of it. But I mean, there's a diamond everywhere that like, you just have to look for it. Right. So even though that volume is overwhelming and it can at times feel like it's weighing you down and you're just sitting there, Oh, there's, there's literally no way I'm getting all of this stuff done. But at the end of the day, you get through it and you walk away and you know more because of it. And that it's all about perspective, right? So even though you have these things in the residency that aren't quite what you, what you, what you thought they were going to be, or you're not quite feeling about a certain part of it, the way that you would like to feel about it. But if you just kind of think about how you're approaching it and your perspective on that situation, taking a step back, thousand foot view, looking down on how you're interacting with that situation is that you might find something that you might otherwise not see such Mm -hmm. as the learning that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it is just recognizing that you're there to just get to get better as a clinician and all of this stuff, you know, you might have to make sacrifices for it and things of that nature. It's just kind of reminding yourself of why you're there in the first place. Mm-hmm. I entered residency to be a better physical therapist. That's the main thing I entered it for. Right. I'm going to do it for money, anything like that. Right. It's to be a better physical therapist and kind of push myself as a clinician and see where I can go as a clinician um, with regards to like my overall clinical excellence, things of that nature. Um, so I agree. Having yeah. that perspective is definitely important especially as you're going through it yep and i think that that's a this is a really good place to wrap up and this is i'm so glad that you were able to come back on the show because it is so cool to see how you have changed in your communication to me of the experiences that you're going through today versus when we had this conversation almost a year ago now i think maybe a little bit under that but uh close to a year ago And it's just amazing to see this transformation that has happened in front of me. And I would guarantee that if I had the opportunity to see you treat at the start of your residency versus this to where you're at now, that there would be at least a tenfold increase in your ability to treat patients, communicate with patients, communicate with your colleagues, and just think in general and be introspective and have the ability to think about your thoughts. It's just from the limited knowledge that I have of you as a therapist, I can see it and I can see your passion for the profession radiate into our conversation today. Yeah. Appreciate it. So with that, I want to say thank you so much for coming back on the show and uh, it would be kind of cool to get you on the show again down the road and see where you're at then. Yeah, of course. Always happy to come back and have a chat for sure. Awesome. Thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been the postdoc PT experience. My guest today was Zach Mayo. Zach, is there anywhere we can find you? Um, I am on a few social media spots. So um, on Instagram, I'm at ZachMayo.dpt. And on Twitter, just joined um, on ZachMayoDPT as well. Um, Yeah, those are the two main spots where I kind of look at physical therapy and things of that nature. Those are kind of dedicated to PT practice. Beautiful. All right. I appreciate it, Zach. We'll chat soon. All right. Peace out, everyone.